Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast. This is the final episode for season two and as we fastly approach the end of the year and the Christmas run, I thought I would do a little bit of a different episode for you today. So this is not your traditional uh, talking about uncomfortable conversations with someone else. Today I've invited, well, I didn't really invite her, she invited herself, (laughs) good dear friend of mine, Tina Tower. She is coming in to interview me and we're talking about a topic around ageism, around turning old, you know, what do we fear about it, why are we so against getting old and everything that goes with that in society these days. And the key reason we're talking about that topic is because by the time this goes to air, it will be two days away from my turning 50. And I don't know, I'm kind of feeling different to most of my mates in this regard. A lot of friends were really nervous or had hangups and, you know, regretting it and worried about it. And I know there's lots of reasons why to be that way as well, but I genuinely am actually really excited One, because I never thought I'd make it, and two, because in my family, it's a real privilege to turn old, and it's a real privilege to age, and I think what I want to share with you today is the reason why I think we need to throw that, you know, our negative elements around age away, and we need to embrace who we are, you know, all, that's the whole thing about this podcast, is that we embrace our imperfections, we embrace each other and I don't know like the way we live our own lives and embracing the fact that you may live a different life to me and part of that is actually around the wisdom that we bring as an older person the things that we can reflect on around our lives now and when I look back over the last 50 years and I can't believe it's been 50 years and there's so much I still want to do so I hope you enjoy the conversation. Tina's a fabulous podcast host. She has her own uh, podcast, Her Empire Builder, and she's an amazing businesswoman. And I interviewed her actually way back in my second interview. And it's one of my favorite interviews, actually, because she talked about uh, removing toxic people from your life. So it's a really interesting conversation. But today, please enjoy this conversation around ageism, turning old, and how I feel about turning 50. Have a wonderful Christmas break and I look forward to being back in your ears in January. Hello, Wabi Sabi audience. This is Tina Tower here hijacking the Wabi Sabi podcast to celebrate your host, Michelle Cox's 50th birthday. Happy birthday, birthday girl. Wow, that's an introduction to my own podcast. Very unexpected. And hijack is the appropriate word, just so everyone knows. Yes. And I've also said like people, regular listeners will be used to a short format interview. This one will not be 10 minutes (laughs) because we have so many questions. What baffled me about you when I first met, well, so many things baffle me about you because you're so intriguing and wonderful and eclectic and so different to everybody else, which is what makes you so incredible. But when we first started like serious conversations out of the the normal, you know, chit chat that you do at business things, 
And you were talking about your birthday, which was a few years ago, and going, I can't believe I'm still alive. And I was going, I mean, lots of people get sick and they still think that they're going to survive. But you were like adamant, no, I won't. Where did that thought come from? And why did you think you were doomed? Yeah, I don't know whether doom's the right. Well, I never thought doomed was how I would describe it, but I've just got a really bad genetic history, I guess. So, and you know me well, I'm a pragmatist. So I kind of take all the information on any situation and go, okay, this is where we're at. How do I need to deal with this? Like I'm a really good kind of crisis manager, you know, risk kind of analysis and stuff. And I think that's the way I always looked at it. So my history is not great. You know, both my parents died relatively young, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, you know, I've had a long line of cancer in my family and I had my first bout of cancer at 29 and quite a serious bout at 31. So I just always thought that I was here for a good time, not a long time. And actually, interestingly, though, that was even long before that, like even in my teens and my 20s, I've just always had this innate feeling that I'm not going to be here for a long time. And so that's always driven me. And I've not seen that as a negative thing. I look at that as, well, okay, I've got to, there's lots that I want to do. So, you know, I need to get on with it and not uh, waste time and not spend time with people that I don't want to be with or sweat the small stuff. And so that's kind of driven me, I guess. So then when you had that second bout of cancer and it came back again, is that when you thought, oh, okay, this is it then? Yeah. I mean, when you're in that, the thick of that, like you, you know, you are in survival mode and you don't really think about anything else, to be honest. But like post that, then I reflected on it. You know, I was lucky to be alive. I went into emergency surgery, you know, I found out on at seven o'clock on a Monday night and I was in Darwin and I had to fly on a midnight flight to get in to be operated on at eight o'clock in the morning in Sydney. But Interestingly, for those that know my story, that was after nine months of me pursuing a doctor like to get, you know, treatment of which they'd misdiagnosed me for nine months. So that was incredibly frustrating. But um, to be finally, you know, diagnosed properly and then it was so serious and I had a tumour the size of a football taken out of me. And then I was kind of in a bit of a fight from that to say, okay, the tumour's been removed, but we want to make sure everything else and there's no other cancer and So for the next sort of six months or so, yeah, I had to kind of really take things seriously and reevaluate everything in my life. And I don't know, it made me really look at things differently as well from then on. But when I came out of that and, you know, now I'm 18 years, 19 years on and um, very healthy and but I take my health very seriously. Do you always feel like like in that past 20 years, because that's a long time to have gotten over something so serious, do you always Are you living in fear a little bit that it's going to come back at any time? Oh, I did in the early years. Um, I think that, you know, there is that, that concern, you know, just the little small things like you'd get a cold or just a little ache or, you know, something stupid that you're like, "Mm, could this be bad? You know, and I get like a a bit of a backache. I've got had a constant backache and I'm like, could it be cancer in my spine? Like, I think because I'm so prone to that, it definitely crosses my mind. I can't deny it, but I'm not a panic merchant either. Like I just go, okay, what do I need to do? Let's, you know, go down a health track, get things checked out. So I take my health seriously, you know, eat really well, exercise, all the things because I'm like that's I'm predispositioned for genetically 
you know, not great. <laughs> like my mum, she died of cancer, and but my dad died of a heart attack. So, you know, I'm conscious of that. And mum had breast cancer, I had cervical cancer. So they're quite different and they're not actually um, genetically, um, you know, similar, I guess, in terms of actually linked. Yeah, it's something that you have to, you know, you're aware of, I think, as a cancer survivor, you're aware of that stuff. And it makes me make better decisions about things, but it certainly doesn't help, you know, doesn't hold me back. And um, if anything, it probably propels me forward, as you all know. Well, I think so as well. And I know, you know, going into this year of your 50th year and how kind of bougie bordering on outrageous some of the decisions that you've made and and I ask you about them and don't you don't give away all my secrets on this go, podcast. Well, honey, I didn't think I'd be alive. But now though, now, now that you've gone so well past that and you're kind of past the age that for some reason you did not think that you would see, have you kind of had the realization now that you could just be halfway? To me it's reframing. I'm not taking it on like and I've done a lot of work on this stuff and um, been challenged a lot by people because they're like, you know, like you in a business sense, but from a spiritual sense and stuff as well of people saying that's not your path, you know, just because your parents died young and your family and genetically and you've had some shit happen. It doesn't mean that that's going to happen to you just because you've gone through that. And that was kind of good to have that slap across the face, I guess, you know, over the years. But I've now decided that who knows what's going to happen and I'm living my life exactly the way I want and that's probably something I've learned a lot in the last sort of few years that to really fully embrace that more and more and I'm braver in that space than I've ever been. And that's really only come about the last probably two or three years. You know, I always thought I was good in that space but not really now that I'm in that, like living every day like that. I'm like, oh, okay, I could have done this a long time ago. Some would say I've been like that forever because they see my life and they think, oh, it's amazing and whatever. But truly living my truth, I guess, is, um, yeah, only really happened in the last couple of years. But I'm, yeah, I'm reframing it. How did it take so long for you to go, you know what, I'm just going to totally go in to be myself? Like were you too, were you really concerned about the corporate image and having to comply to reach all of those goals? Yeah, probably. I think that it's other people's expectations on me is what is always been the challenge that I've dealt with because I fundamentally don't give a shit what people think about me, like deep, deep within because of what I've gone through. You know, when I've, when you've dealt with, you know, your mortality and face death like I have, you know that someone's opinion of something you posted or something you did or whatever, like, you know, it's not, it's insignificant. And yet, our society makes you think that it's a big deal. And so I've been caught up in that in a long time and in a female executive in, you know, quite often like a rare, you know, female executive with surrounded by lots of men and in a very um, patriarchal kind of situation in society, you kind of get sucked into that, I guess. So, yeah, it's been challenging. And as I've sort of, you know, because I, move between you know with my kind of portfolio career I move between different um, spaces and areas and working with different people you know I found I had to be a chameleon how long have you been on boards for like an external board 20 years yeah so when you did that because you were young to start doing that did you have to downplay yourself as a woman to do that like when you say chameleon 
did you have to be one of the boys? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, I think you just, um, there were not a lot of women doing stuff in this space that I would aspire or admire and aspire to be like, you know, and there were a lot of women that were showing kind of masculine behaviors, I guess. You think they felt like they had to? Yeah, well, I think that's just the behavior that was accepted. So it's like, you know, we all wore power suits. We all acted, you know, with like seriousness and we were tough and we were amazing at running business and this whole, you know, deep voice. You think about newsreaders as women, right? There's a whole lot of research around that sort of space of the expectation to have authority and leadership. It's only been really in the last few years that that's changed where we can bring empathy and you know, our vulnerability as a leader to the corporate world and it be accepted, you know, cry in your office or cry at work. Like that was like the worst thing ever, you know, back in the day. It's still not great now. But, you know, as a woman, like they're like, oh, my God, she's, you know, it's time of the month, you know, all these kind of sayings and stuff. And you're like, wow, you know, <laughs> just I could write a book about some of this stuff in the days that um, would be said to you, like so inappropriate and often by junior male staff as well, like way more junior than me. And they just think it was fine to sort of say that type of stuff. So, you know, you had to kind of, in order to climb the ladder, you had to be a certain way. And because I'm very comfortable, you know, almost like with, you know, my feminine and masculinity energy, you know, I can mix it with the boys and I'm a tomboy at heart. So, and yet, but I'm, I love being a woman. So I think that whole dichotomy threw people off and they didn't know how to box me so I just would just do my own thing and it was enabled me to pave a way to kind of cut through this stuff and even though I was doing that and just doing my thing I probably wasn't as comfortable or as confident as maybe people thought I was and so I would analyze everything and be aware of you know what I wore and how I spoke and what, the way I was in a meeting and always think oh god was that all right did I say the right thing so I'm hugely critical of myself like a lot of people are I guess but a lot of high achievers have higher expectations of themselves than anything else <laughs> yeah so I mean a few weeks ago now you stayed at my place when my brother was coming over and when he was coming and he's like you know who's this friend you've got here and I described you as like the most fabulously eclectic woman because I'm like you can't when you say you broke the mold a little bit like you totally break the mold you totally break the mold like you go okay so she is you know people define themselves like hey at a dinner party what do you do I'm a teacher I'm an accountant like you are impossible to put in a she is what has been the hardest part about breaking that mold and not being able to identify yourself as I am a, but you are a wholesome, fully formed, fabulous, adventurous, multi-passionate woman. I don't think of it as unusual. It's just I do what I do. And I, I think for me, I have to be passionate about everything I do. So that goes into every part of my life. And, you know, I don't suffer fools well, I don't deal with negative people. I don't want to hang out with people that are like, you know, sucking energy from me or the world or not adding value. And, you know, I do a lot for others. I know I'm a very generous soul and, you know, they're all good things that I want to live a good life and I want to be fundamentally a good person. And so, but part of that is also to be happy and to contribute to the world then I need to do shit that I love. And 
I learned many years ago that I was the only one that could make that happen. And I think that's where a lot of people fall into that going, oh, but I can't do this because I've got a mortgage or I can't do that because I've got kids or I can't, you know, I'll do that in five years when I've got through this or when I've, you know, got that degree or whatever. And my advice to anyone is if you're not happy, change your life now, you know, and don't rely on anyone else or a time frame to do that because things will happen and that you will put a energy and time and emotion makes shit happen. And so if you take a step to make your life better, then other things that causes a reverberation for other things to change. And I have always loved what I've done. I've worked, you know, in tourism for 25 years and you know, before that was in the fitness area and they were, you know, areas that I love and adore and I go to work every single day loving what I do. And now I've just taken that to a whole other level the last couple of years and mixing up the intellectual side with the creative side because I always kind of blocked that creativity would bring it out sort of in a marketing sense but never fully got to fulfill that like I'm doing now and it seriously feeds my soul and it's making you know I get so much love and so much joy out of the things that I make that people really love and appreciate and it's you know it's it's a circle it's really nice and but also I need that intellectual stimulation so when you say about breaking the mold, it's not it's not deliberate. It hasn't been deliberate. I've just done what I want to do. And that's what now I'm trying to encourage is if anything, people say, but how did you do that and whatever? And I'm like, I don't have a playbook for this other than follow your heart, be brave, do the things that you want to do and stop being worried about other people's judgment. That's probably the biggest thing because that still affects me a little bit now. But I've learned so much in the last few years to not give a fuck. <laughs> like, because also I think we put too much expectation on what other people think, but they don't really think about you. Like, you think that they are, or they, you think that they're thinking about, but no, everyone's too busy worried about what hell, you know, what's going on in their life and probably what you're thinking about them. You know, we can always say the things like advice we'd give to our younger selves and, and that sort of stuff. And, and I think there's some that you could read when you are 20 and you just don't take it on board. I think there's some certain wisdom that comes as you get older. Do you feel like you could have known better then or do you feel like the not giving the fuck anymore and the sitting there and, you know, reading board notes while you're making plates has come with going, you know what, I'm just following my joy and I'm totally fine with that because you've got the enough years and experience under your belt that you go, I know what to care about and what not to. There's probably some advice I'd give myself, you know, 30 years ago. But equally, as you say, there's there's stuff that I wouldn't be able to do or change. I mean, I'm a person, I have no regrets. Even I've done some dumb stuff, absolutely. And I kind of figure, like, would I have changed that? Maybe, but actually it kind of made me who I am. And those lessons and those, like, stuff ups actually taught me different things that, now I'm a better human or I'm better at my job or I'm a better business person or whatever, you know, better partner. Yeah, I don't have any regrets, absolutely. But I think I would have liked to have some good kind of mentorship around particular things. And some of that is, you know, really around don't listen to others as much as, you know, you think you need to and especially around how to live your life. And so the whole thing about, you know, getting married like everyone got married earlier than I did and and I still sort of held on, but I was still quite young, like I was 24 and I'd travel the world and, 
you know, maybe wouldn't have done that. Like if I felt that if the pressure wasn't there to, that was the expectation, the same around kids, you know, the pressure of, of having children and stuff. And, you know, it's a whole other topic as we know, but just that living a life that's absolutely right for you. And a girlfriend and I were talking about it last night about, interestingly in like a topic around sexuality like you know now in the 20 year olds it's actually far more accepted for them to try and be a little bit fluid with things like that was never in our day you know like have a girlfriend have a boyfriend live with someone not like that was just not you know and that's just an example of something I think that's very different now the same with jobs you know to be kind of work in different jobs and it's okay to be six months here and like again that was like a really bad thing when I was kind of coming through so I think it's actually lovely now that people can try things and be more um, accepting to, to, you know, move around and, and do things a bit differently. We didn't really have that flexibility. It would have been nice to be able to try more jobs and different things and not have an expectation that you have to do this course, this degree to go to this career. I mean, I kind of broke that anyway, but um, I was certainly judged for it at the time. And people are always like, what do you do? Why are you doing that? Where? And I took a lot of side steps and back steps and, you know, I was very open to taking jobs that potentially were demotions because I saw the opportunity. So that never stopped me. But I know I was unusual in that case. So so is your motivation always been driven by passion and interest and following your heart or have you ever been like is it motivation do you bring in the money do you bring in the impact like what what factors come into play when you decide which path you're going to take? I think as a younger person, it was probably money, you know, financially impacted because I came, you know, from no money. So for me, I knew that money would give me choices and that would enable me to do things that I couldn't do otherwise and and that my parents were never able to do. So I'm the only person in my family that's been to university. And so I knew that education was going to help to do that as well. And I always had like three or four part-time jobs like you know, in school, high school, into university. So it was always like entrepreneurial. And I was an entrepreneur, like at six or seven, I'd do, you know, crafty things or, you know, always kind of making stuff. So that was always in me. But I learned, I think, relatively early on when I was doing okay money-wise that actually like money didn't define me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can buy nice things, but it doesn't really mean anything. And I met so many people, especially when I lived in London, and I worked for some, you know, multi, multi-millionaires over there. And I learned that money didn't make you happier. And so that was good good lessons in that time to then go, all right, so what do I want? Well, if, if it's not more money, well, where's the fulfillment? And in a lot of the work I did, you know, I worked in so the fitness area and then I worked in tourism, you know, giving people holidays and dreams and creating like phenomenal memories for them that they would remember like a top deck trip from 18 to 35 like these were incredible experiences for young kids and I truly believe that travel is universe you know it's like the university of life we all learned you know went to uni for a few years but I learned way more when I traveled throughout Europe and just those interactions and experiences with other cultures and that's good like that's good for your soul but it teaches you so much about not only the people that you're interacting with, but about yourself and where you've come from and maybe how privileged you are and, you know, that you're an asshole in certain circumstances and you need to check yourself, right? You've done so much travel and adventures. And even when you're talking about travel right now with this space in our world, it just makes me want to cry. What has been your most impactful travel experience? 
so many for different reasons. You know, like I went to South America. I was talking to a guy today because he was from Brazil. And I was like, oh, I remember when I was in Brazil. I went to South America for a month after my dad died. And um, Dennis said, you know, I wanted him to come. And uh, he said, no, you need to do this. Like you need to go by yourself and have this time and kind of evaluate. And it was like the most phenomenal trip. But I had like so many incredible experiences on that. But then equally, then I did volunteering in Cambodia for a month where I worked at a school and then realized that they were, you know, in so much trouble from a financial aspect that couldn't raise the money in Australia and um, worked with a Khmer guy to build this school. And so then I raised like $35,000 for them in the coming weeks, which, you know, they were getting $20 donations. So $35,000 to build a whole entire travel kind of building thing changed a lot of people's lives. And that was really cool. Um, and then I went back again several times, but lots of other mates as well went and um, joined in at that place. So that kind of stuff is memorable for me. But I don't know, Tina, I just, every travel experience, I just love it. Like every time I'm sitting on a plane, I'm one of those people that talk to the person sitting next to me because I have met the most phenomenal people on planes like incredible stories, but um, yeah, that's a whole other podcast in itself. <laughs> that's because you you talk to other people, <laughs> which we'd have this conversation. I'm the one that puts my headphones on, the hoodie on, and I'm just like disappearing in the crowd. Yeah, but then you would miss like the multi-billionaire people that I've met that have then invited me back to parties in Paris or a prince that I sat next to in like Abu Dhabi that I was taken to this. Like seriously, you would miss these amazing experiences you're right. I am surprised that you've made it to 50 when you're getting in cars with Abu Dhabi princes. <laughs> but so on that note, you were talking before about, you know, in the last few years, you've really embraced who you are and been able to get out of there. Would that be the best thing about turning 50? Like, what do you think is, is the best thing right now about being the age you are? I don't know what the hang up is. And I'm kind of wondering what I'm missing. So, so many of my friends, you know, didn't want anyone to know that they're turning this age. I feel so lucky to be here. As I say, honestly, never thought I'd make it. But now I'm like, I'm healthy. I'm alive. Like life is good, you know, and like 50 is not bad. And I think that's the thing I really want to challenge right now is that that whole expectation of, you know, what's the ageism around, you know, like that whole, oh, you're 50 and now you won't be able to do this. And now people have this. And I'm like, like I'm fitter now than I've been for a long time, you know, like there's so many things that are better. And, um, you know, as a woman, like I'm so comfortable with who I am and will tell people's truth more and, you know, be a better friend and all those kind of things. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited about this age and stage in life and feel incredibly I don't know. It's not blessed is not the right word because I've had a lot of shit happen to me. So I'm not sure that's blessed, but I just feel happy to be here. So on that note, what I want to ask you is because you have always, you know, you even said it at the beginning, you've, you've led your life so full and going and following your heart and doing all sorts of things because you thought you were here for a good time, not a long time. Do you think that you lived like that because you're acutely aware of how finite life is? Are you relaxing a little bit more into that and the motivation's coming from a different spot or are you still like, you know what, this year could be the last one so let's give it our all? Yeah, I think I think clearly that's my makeup. You know, I've learned that through time that, you know, when I've had periods of breaks in career and stuff, I used to think that 
work was my big motivation and that's why I sort of didn't sleep well or whatever. But when I had periods of time without work and my brain just doesn't stop. So you kind of learn that's, you know, that's who you are. And so I'm a driven individual. And so my key thing is to make sure that I apply that stuff into things that matter. And, you know, I would love to do more that makes a difference to others. And there's little things that I do, I think, that are making a difference, but um, there's still more I need to do or want to do in that space. There's no stopping me, I guess, as I, you know, gain more and more momentum. And hopefully I can encourage others to to do more that, you know, makes their heart sing more, I guess. that's There's so many mates that I have that are not really happy with their lives and what they do. And I just wish that they could have, you know, more happiness in their lives. And some of those, you know, is circumstantial. Some of those, they, it's their attitude. And I don't know how you teach that. Do you think it's because people are too worried about the consequences if they follow their heart or? But that's the thing I don't understand because I feel like you're losing more, you know, and yeah, you've got to be brave. And that was one of the things I think I'd say to my 20-year-old self is actually be braver, you know, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. And you'll always be okay because I, you know, I fundamentally believe that. Like I'm a person that will always work it out. I have no doubt that I came from no money. If I lost everything tomorrow, I know I'd be okay and I could live much more simply. And I think that's where we get hung up and get a little bit tangled in what actually really matters in life. And for those mates that, you know, go, oh, I wish I had your life and whatever. And, you know, they look at my kind of glamorous, you know, always in the travel and stuff. And I, I say, well, I look at you with your two beautiful children and I'm like, wish I could have your life and so you know it's different but it doesn't mean we can't be happy in what we've got and enjoy that and actually um, just stop wanting what other people have and be grateful for what we have but then actually make the best of that and don't blame others or expect others to make your life the best that it can be for you. I mean, the biggest benefit of having a crack of life is the lesson that it's all going to be okay because you fall flat on your face and things don't turn out enough and you have to recover from that. And then you learn, oh, I can do left of field things and it's all going to be okay. But I think when people play it too safe, they never get the lesson that they're going to be okay and they can take risk and they can go balls to the wall and go for it. Yeah, I think that, you know, like with the conversations we've always had around that stuff is actually people almost need to fail more to know that it's not that bad. You can overcome that stuff and, yeah, it's hurtful or you lose stuff or you do dumb shit or you're embarrassed and it's, you know, a big blow to the ego. But actually you can overcome it and other than death, quite literally, there's, you know, pretty much a lot of things that we can do. We're much more powerful than we realise. And I think as women, I think that's the thing that we need to to step into that power more and more. And hopefully, you know, next year and coming into a new year and a cycle, people realize, okay, it's time to change. It's time to look at things differently. And it's been a crappy couple of years that we've had no control over. But that's kind of life as well. Like everything else that happens all the time, we don't have a lot of control over. What we can control is how our attitude around it and how we deal with it and what we do you know, from then on in. And they're the things I focus on. I don't dwell on the stuff that I can't change. Now, I wish this was an episode of This Is Your Life and I had like a pre-prepared book of all of the things and the chapters and I can bring out people from your past. But just in the time that I have known you, so I don't even know how long I've known you, probably like seven to 10 years-ish. But in that time, like I look at it and I go, 
you've started businesses, you're on boards, you do these incredible trips, you help people all the time, you've had best-selling books, you've got a top-rated podcast, like you get these amazing board roles, like you do all of this stuff, you're a sensational stepmom, which is a hard gig to have, you're a beautiful wife, like you're a great friend, you do all of these incredible things and that's only in the time that I've known you. If I was to ask you, what makes you the most proud in your life? What are you proudest of right now? I'm proud of how many people I love and how many people I think love me. That's what it all comes down to, right? Like that's all that matters. If you're having an impact on others and you're surrounded by love both ways, like then everything else kind of works out because you've got the support and, you know, once you've got that, you can do anything. You know, that takes work. It really does. You know, people say, oh, I'm a good friend and whatever, but I'm like, yeah, that's because I make an effort even when you don't like as a mate or whatever. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> but um, It takes work and effort, but it, to me it's worth it. And, you know, you go through, I've got, you know, friendships for 30, 40 years and, you know, they're not always rosy through that time, but, it, you know, it's up to you to make an effort to work at it. And that means, you know, it's no different in a marriage or you're in a friendship or in your business. You've got to work at it. It's not easy. And you shouldn't have that expectation that it's, you know, it's your right and you're given. You've worked hard and you should just have it because it doesn't work out like that. But yeah, I feel that I have beautiful friendships and relationships in my life. And um, yeah, I, I uh, feel very lucky for that. Well, Michelle Cox, you are an absolute inspiration. I love you. Everybody that I know that knows you loves you. You are the most incredible woman. You light up. I mean, you are just a warm hug, really, like how you envelope everybody around you. So, I mean, when you think of that, if that's what you are most proud of, you deserve that pride because it is what you represent. So happy birthday, gorgeous. I cannot wait to be celebrating with you at your festivali. <laughs> and thank you for letting me interview you. Happy birthday. Thank you, darling. I was pretty anxious about this being on the other side and uh, not knowing what the hell you were going to ask me. So it's been gorgeous to chat to you. Thank you very much. I adore you. And uh, yeah, you're you're a pretty good podcast interviewer since you've been doing it for about five years. So uh, it's been fun. Thanks, darling. I'll see you soon. And uh, everyone else that's turning 50 or that's, you know, turning 40 or any big milestone, 60, 70, embrace it, baby because it is a privilege to get old. 